I think that upper limit problem is something that a lot of us face is we tend to think that we can only grow so far. And that's why, to me, I don't consider Passion Struck as being. I think of it as becoming. We are constantly striving to become something more. You're listening to the High Performance Health Podcast, helping you optimize your health, performance, and longevity. My name is Angela Foster, and I'm a former corporate lawyer and high performance health coach. Each week, I bring you cutting edge biohacks, inspiring insights, and high performance habits to unlock optimal health, performance, and longevity. So excited that you've chosen to join me today. Now let's dive in. Hi friends, in today's episode we are talking all about high performance, resiliency and even more than that, anti-fragility. My guest is John R. Miles who is a keynote speaker, author, combat veteran and host of the number one ranked alternative health podcast Passion Struck which has garnered over 17 million downloads, it's been listened to in 169 countries and has over 20,000 five-star reviews. And John has a brand new book coming out on the 6th of February. It is Passion Struck, 12 Powerful Principles to Unlock Your Purpose and Ignite Your Most Intentional Life. And in today's episode, we sit down and go through some of those principles, including how to master the Finnish art of Sisu, which helps you develop more courage, resilience, grit, tenacity, and perseverance. We also discuss how to overcome your upper limit, how to find your passion and break free of anything that's holding you back and some kind of daily strategies on things like how John manages to read 100 books a year and not just read 100 books a year but also take it in and his method of actually applying what he reads. So if you want to achieve true high performance in 2024 then I think you will love this interview. So without further delay let me introduce you now to John R. Miles. John, welcome. It is so awesome to have you here today. I've been really, really looking forward to this interview. Um, love your book, Passion Struck, just absolutely amazing. And I'm really thrilled to go through the Passion Struck model with you. Firstly, welcome to the show. Angela, thank you so much for having me. It's such an honor to be here and getting to serve your community is just an incredible honor amazing. overall. So Awesome. Well, we are honored to have you here. Um, First of all, let's kind of kick off a bit about your your background. I mean, I, when I was listening to you on, we were talking offline there about my friend Brian Keane, and he was sharing the incredible story um, of something you went through when you came back from the gym and you were found a, a, someone robbing your house and they were armed and uh, like some of the things that have happened to you. But you've had, I guess for me, you display such not just resilience, but anti-fragility and you've been incredibly successful in your life, which I'm excited to, to quiz you on. But please just share a little bit more around your personal story, first of all, and what kind of brought you to write Passion Struck? Yeah, I think that that um, inner grit, or uh, for those who are familiar with the Finnish art of Sisu, I think it's always been kind of a, a critical component of who, who I am. Um, when I was five or six, um, I was playing in the backyard, playing tag with some friends, and I was pushed from behind, and it ended up resulting and me crashing through the basement window, and I had a traumatic brain injury. And unfortunately, that resulted in having a broken brain, similar to people are familiar with Jim Quick. He, when he and I talk, we, I, I, I always say to him, it's something I can unfortunately acknowledge in myself. Um, I was faced at that young age with a number of issues that came as a result of it, cognitive issues auditory processing issues, um, as well as having speech impediment issues. And so because of that, I learned to have this inner 
perseverance because I didn't want to be the person who seemed left behind. And it just caused me to work harder to try to overcome those disabilities to be what I thought was normal like the rest of the people around me. And I think that underpinning has carried forward throughout my life. That is, different things have have hit me, whether it's been trauma like the, the burglar who happened to come into the house or combat trauma or other things. Um, I've tried to look at them as learning moments and moments that ultimately make me stronger. And I, I think that is something that over time has propelled me to, to where I am today. So as far as uh, for why passion struck, um, I guess I had found myself um, successful career. I was the C-level in, in a well-known Fortune 50 company. But I found that more and more of my days, I was waking up and I just didn't feel like they mattered. I felt like I was stuck in this constant routine where I was going to work, but it didn't feel fulfilling. It, it didn't feel passionate. Those things that had really brought out that passion to me, I was no longer doing. It, I was consumed. With the political issue of the day or the HR issue of the day, I was working 80 to 100 hours a day, and it ended up uh, resulting in me feeling completely burned out. And while this was happening, there was this inner voice, and I'm not talking like a schizophrenic voice, but this inner voice that was talking to me, telling me that the path that I was on was not the path that I should be on. But I think when we're at this point in our life, it's as as it's as Henry David Thoreau wrote, the mass of men lead lives of quiet desperation. And what ends up happening is, I think, the burdens of life catch up to us. Uh, we have the family obligations, the rent payment, the car payment, everything else, and we find ourselves stuck. And that's certainly, I think, what was happening to me. And oftentimes, this inner calling that you're getting is so foreign to what you're doing right now that it's very difficult to see how do you go from point A to point B because the gap is so large. But actually, that gap that I was seeing was my actual self, who I was, had become my ought self, the person I should be because I was stuck with all these burdens instead of the ideal self that I desired to be. And so passion struck was really born on how do you cross that chasm of going from wherever you are in life to become your ideal self. I love that. I think I read somewhere that, you know, to the extent that we're being someone different than we are capable of, there will be a degree of suffering. Um, and I think just closing that gap is so important. I think you mentioned something now that I wanted to pick up on, right? We get stuck in the kind of rhythm of life. Um, insofar as you were, you mentioning, you know, we, we accumulate commitments, right, over the term of our lives when we have a family to support, we have um, a kind of status that we've acquired, we have things that we're afraid to let go of. And for some people, when they're thinking about making a change and following their passion, there is actually a very real financial concern around them doing that. What would you say to those people that maybe they're in a job and they're thinking, this isn't for me, and that inner voice is getting louder and louder? But I have so many commitments. I'm not sure how I can leave that and start something new that feels inherently risky. Um, what, what advice would you give them? So one, I would like you to think about the big picture. Um, and I'm going to give a, a couple of statistics here to just show how prevalent this is. Um, 
there's a gentleman named Tom Gilovich, who's a psychologist at Cornell University, he just led this impactful research of thousands of individuals. Uh, and they were asked, what is the biggest regret that they have in life? And an amazing 76% of them all came back with the same thing. It's not pursuing their ideal life. And it's not the mistakes that we make in life. It's the what ifs. It's the should haves. And so to me, it's really coming down to this feeling of, do you want to keep perpetuating a life where you're making other people's dreams come true, but you're not making your own dreams come true? Because that's where I found myself. As I was making other companies and other people lots of money, and I was on that path, but I wasn't being true to myself. It was as if I was going to a masquerade every day, wearing a mask of pretense, hiding the authentic me from the world. And when you do that, I think what ends up happening is it leads to feeling the way so many people feel today, whether it's lonely or helpless or or broken, beaten, battered, whatever word you want to put on on it. Um, so how do you break free from that, I think, is whatever got you in that position to begin with didn't happen overnight. So you can't think to yourself that I'm going to just flip a light switch and things are going to get better. It's, it's similar to burnout. You just didn't become burned out overnight. It started as a slow progression, almost probably unconscious to you until over time it became a mid-grade thing. And then there's likely an event that happened that triggered the hockey stick to happen. So what I encourage people to do is to break out of this, you can't just take this humongous, huge leap. I think it starts with focusing on a change in one area of your life. And a great way I like to describe this is I went to a career coach at this aspect of my life. Uh, he happened to be a psychologist. And he had me sit down one day and do this um, vision ex experience. And he said, I just want you to close your eyes. Imagine yourself going into your kitchen and picture a stool there. And as you're getting on this stool, imagine that it has one base underneath it. And it's this really thick base. And he goes, for you in your life, John, it's become the constant grind. And what do you think that that constant grind is going to do to you over time? And I said, well, it's going to make me topple because there's nothing else holding me up. And he said, now I want you to think about your life differently. Think about sitting on that same stool, but it having multiple supports underneath you. And these can be whatever you want them to be that bring you fulfillment in your life. And for me, I decided I wanted them to be physical health, mental health, spiritual health, emotional health, relationship health. But they can be whatever a listener wants them to be. But I think the mistake that we make, just like New Year's resolutions, is we try to start fixing all of them at the same time. And what I encourage people to do is to pick just one and to start making micro differences in your life in that one area, because it's going to be impossible for you to build habits across all those different areas. But if you start focusing on taking actions in one area, then you can make habitual changes in it. And before you know it, you're going to have the synergistic effect where unknowingly almost you start impacting other parts of your life. And where I think people go wrong on this is they try to jump from point a to point B overnight, not realizing that the same length of time that it's gotten you to where you are now, it's going to take you a length of time to get to where you want to be. And to me, being passion struck is a continuous pursuit. It's not like you, you reach this destination sometime and then you just stop. It's continually reinventing yourself 
into becoming a better version of yourself. In a sense, I always say that when we look at like stepping into our future self, right? We, in a sense, we almost never get there because we're continuing to elevate all the time. Uh, and it's important that we do that for the, for the growth. I like the way very much that, you, that you've sort of broken that down into areas. And I think picking one thing, because I think that helps to save overwhelm um, for people. And I think also we know from the research that you're more likely to make a change and stick to it if you make it small, right? And make it easy, make it count and then build on that. And, and James Clear does some great work around that concept of compound interest. Um, when people are making these changes, I think often they can feel a degree of frustration, right? That they're not getting there fast enough. And in my experience, then we sort of hold on too tight effectively. Um, and for me, what I found in my life is that when I don't hold on quite so tight, life seems to flow a little bit better. Um, and it just seems like opportunities are easier. Things happen more seamlessly. How do we get that balance between working hard, grit and hustle, and kind of having that element of letting go? Well, to me, that's where intention comes into play. And one of the things I talk about in the book is I'm a huge fan of Angela Duckworth's work. In fact, I'm absolutely stoked because I'm interviewing her in two days. And uh, awesome. it's something that I've, I've been trying to to have happened now for about three or four years. And uh, um, finally, it's happened. Brilliant. And, and I love her book uh, because she sets the stage of talking about the ingredients of grit, passion, and perseverance by studying cadets at West Point. And for me, this was really intriguing because I went to the, the Naval Academy, kind of the sister institution. So my experiences would be very similar to those cadets. And her work indicated that what made a cadet successful was the combination of passion and perseverance plus physical attributes. But as I thought about my own experience and those of so many of my classmates, those things were absolutely critical. But to me, there's a missing ingredient that if things aren't going in the direction that you want them to go, meaning if you're not getting the grades that you want, if you're actions are leading you to demerits, if you're getting close, closer and closer to not realizing your goal, you have the opportunity to step in and change that path. And to me, that's what being intentional is about. It's aligning your intentions with your actions and your long-term aspirations. And I think we think that those things are interdependent and they're, act they're actually absolutely linked to each other. And when the alignment doesn't happen, that's when our lives start getting out of whack because um, we're in misalignment to the path that we want to take. And to me, at the core of that is being intentional. Perimenopause can be a time of significant disruption, not just to our hormones, but also to our sleep, anxiety, energy levels, and gut health. Add in a busy work schedule, workouts, and three kids, and I know that I need more nutrient support than I used to. While I do my best to get enough vitamins and minerals through whole food sources every day, there are times I can't quite get enough servings, and that's why I take AG1 every day. It covers my bases with high-quality ingredients like pre- and probiotics to support gut health, adaptogens to help buffer stress, antioxidants, and whole food source nutrients to deliver that welcome boost in energy. One daily scoop of AG1 covers my nutrient gaps and supports my mental and physical health without a lot of hassle. I simply add one scoop to my water in the morning with the confidence to know I'm giving my body what it needs. Taking AG1 helps me to feel more energized, sleep better, and gives me glowing skin. 
If there's one product I had to recommend to elevate your health, it's AG1. And that's why I've partnered with them for so long. So if you want to take ownership of your health, start with AG1. Try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D3 and K2 and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase exclusively at drinkag1.com forward slash Angela Foster. That's drinkag1.com forward slash Angela Foster. Will you make 2024 the year you take care of your health? Health isn't just your physical health. It's your mindset and your spirituality. It's the foundation of all your goals in life. Imagine what it would be like if you lived life in flow, with vibrant energy and in alignment with your highest purpose. Well, I am here to help you. Every month in my membership, the Female Biohacker Collective, we take the latest science, biohacks, mindset tools, and high-performance habits and translate them into bite-sized masterclasses to help you make improvements in your life. An empowering mindset coupled with vibrant health is crucial to training yourself for real personal growth and success in life. We teach you what really works in wellness, in women's health, in mindset, productivity, and longevity. And every month we unlock a new course that will cost you thousands of dollars to buy. When I started out on my health journey, honestly, I was overwhelmed with all of the information out there. I wanted access to a place that could provide me with simple strategies to optimize my energy, my hormones, health, performance, and longevity. And that's why I created the Female Biohacker Collective. And every month I go live with a Q&A call to answer your questions, questions you can't get answers to anywhere else. Each month, we deliver bite-sized content that fits with a busy lifestyle to sharpen your mind, stay energized, motivated, confident, ready to win, and build your greatest future. Discover the strategies I use to balance business growth, family time, and health, keeping me biologically over 20 years younger than my chronological age. The Female Biohacker Collective is for those women who really want the advanced level, who really want to break through. Podcasts are great, but our trainings and Q&A calls are another level in Female Biohacker. You deserve to join an exclusive membership for women who want advanced personal growth, vibrant health, and to live their best life. This is a membership of the women in the world who have a positive mindset, a growth mindset, a willingness to learn, and a love to challenge themselves to achieve great things in life. Unlock vibrant health at femalebiohacker.com. That's femalebiohacker.com. I was just looking at your passion struck model with uh you know mindset behavior which you you um, put the the perseverance in there and then in terms of the intention and action you talk about um self-mastery this is something that uh is common among high performers right how do i achieve self-mastery what would be the steps to that how do we in a sense overcome ourselves on a daily basis <laughs> Well, one of the things I tried to look at was the four stoic virtues and self-mastery is one of them. It's really what they call temperance. And this really is the intentional control over one's impulses, desires, and behaviors. You can think of self-mastery as fine-tuning our behaviors to align with our ultimate goals. So I think a chapter in the book that really ties to this is the chapter that I wrote on being the fear confronter. Because there's a concept that I like to talk about, I think that sums this up really well, is we become visionary arsonists in our own lives. We arson the very things, the goals, the aspirations, the dreams that we want to accomplish because of things such as perfectionism, self-sabotage, I mean, you name it, self-doubt. We allow these things to permeate our lives and we're not 
being conscious about how we're trying to control them. It's akin to having a GPS set, but then not listening to the to that GPS and the directions that it's giving you. And it's just going to lead you down this path where you're arsoning more and more of the things that you want to accomplish. So to break free from that, again, it's not something that's that's just done overnight. I think the first thing that you've got to do is create awareness that you have these behaviors in the first place. So recognizing your goals and then maybe journaling what's keeping you from attaining them. Like what are the impediments that that are getting in your way that are constantly causing you to get further and further from where you want to go? Um, I think is one of the most important things you've got to do um, if you want to break free from this. And the self-awareness is really a practice of identifying when and why the self-doubt arises in your life and empowering you to, to address the root causes of it. The other thing I think is really important is to challenge negative self-talk. Don't let that inner voice, that inner critic dominate the conversation. You need to question its negative assertions and replace them with positive affirmations. Remind yourself of your positive capabilities. Remind yourself of your worth. Reinforce beliefs like, I am capable. I can learn and grow. I am worthy of my achievements. Mm. I love that. Just really kind of to reprogram that in. I think, um, you know, many of us, when we're looking at, we can start to make progress, right? And then I think it's Gay Hendricks talks about the upper limit problem, or it's described in, you know, Dr. Maxwell Maltz wrote a very good book around, it's called Psycho-Cybernetics, and how we have this internal thermostat, so that as we have some success, we sometimes that self-sabotage is us just bringing us back to the the baseline, which comes back to the self-worth you talk about, right? Which is um, how high is our self-worth? Because if it's if it's not elevated in terms of where we're going, then we sort of return back. Um, what would you say are the best techniques for people to overcome that so that they can continue to elevate themselves and step into that best version of them? Well, I think your uh, upper limit problem is a, is a really good example of this. And as I look back, I probably wish I would have incorporated more of his work into my book because I, I, I think that came out of his book, The Big Leap, if I have it correct. Mm. And um, I think that upper limit problem is something that a lot of us face is we tend to think that we can only grow so far. And that's why, to me, I don't consider passion struck as being. I think of it as becoming. We are constantly striving to become something more. And to me, one of the core things I bring up in the book is the practice of reinvention. And I think that is one of the things that uh, is most important to us perpetuating this change that we want to see is learning to be a constant reinventor in our lives. In fact, there's this gentleman I studied, uh, Dan Schwabel, who interviewed 1,200, what he says are remarkable individuals from all paths of life. And the one thing that he found that all of these people did who broke through was they were consistent in reinventing themselves. And so how do you do that? It's by consistently pushing the boundaries that you set for yourself. And that's how you get rid of the upper limit problem is you keep expanding the boundaries. And those boundaries is typically you getting more comfortable and authentic with your true self. It's expressing yourself and being more confident about that expression and the boundaries that you're setting with others. 
And the more that you're consistent in that application, and I think that's key, the more you start pushing your limits. The other thing I think is extremely important is to be a constant learner. And I mentioned Jim Quick earlier in the discussion. One of the things that Jim talks about in his book, Limitless, that I think is absolutely correct is the biggest difference between someone who's illiterate and someone who reads is just the point that someone reads. And what's remarkable to me is I meet so many people day in and day out who you ask them, what's the latest book that you've read? And they tell you, I I hate to read, or I haven't read a book in so many years. Now, there are different ways that you can attain skills, but one of the easiest ways is by training yourself to be a constant learner. And for me, it's that reading of 100 books like I do every year that is constantly putting ideas in your mind and pushing you to expand your boundaries in ways that you probably unconsciously don't even know you're doing. But you start picking these things up and you start implementing them. And so those are just a couple of my thoughts. I love it. Um, I wanted to talk to you about that. It was on my it was on my list actually about reading 100 books a year and how you tackle that. Because I think breaking that down for people would be super helpful. Um, you know, I think we'd all agree that we'd be very different people if we were reading 100 books a year. That's sort of on average two books a week. Um, do you commit to a daily reading schedule? Is it physical copies? Is it, um, are you reading on the go in terms of things like Audible? And you also mentioned there the practical implementation. Are you reading and then journaling or integrating? I'm really curious um, as to how you do that. Yeah, I have a daily practice where I, I set up uh, defined reading t- reading times throughout the day. Um, I have a morning routine where I go for a morning walk. I I get up every day at 5 a.m. I go for a morning walk. I come out of that. I do some journaling, um, reflecting on uh, the the intentions that I'm setting for the day. I always do a gratitude practice. And then I go to the gym. And when I come back from the gym, I set up a time to read. Um, I then set up another time to read over lunch. And then when I'm on walks, et cetera, um, I will play the audio version of the book, um, et cetera. And then what I try to do so I retain it is exactly what you said is I, I try to journal the most important things that I want to remember because the simple thing is is we forget about 75% of, of what we've digested you know, 24 hours later. So I try to journal out or, or highlight in the book things that I want to come back to, things that I, could, I can utilize and whether it's future articles I want to write or things I want to implement in my life or things that I want to ask a guest or or other things, um, I do that. But uh, for me, learning the technique of, of speed reading has, has just been uh, so in- instrumental in my life. And again, in Jim's book, Limitless, he gives you the clear path of how to do it. I'd say he's more of an expert at it than I am. But um, what I've just learned is um, as you're reading, um, I, I read uh, almost diagonally across a page and I cut out a lot of the filler words and I concentrate on, on grasping the main things that are being said. And then one of the most important things you can do while you're reading is to use your finger to put it across what you're reading because it helps you to concentrate more. And the other thing that um, I do is I read in short bursts. So I think if you try to read over a period of 20 to 25 minutes, um, you stop comprehending what you're reading and you start getting distracted. So for me, what works is um, speed reading and short bursts throughout the day or and then complementing it with auditory versions. And, and you know, I, because 
so many authors uh, don't give you their uh, advanced reader copies. I've I've gotten used to now reading it on digital devices as well. Although my my uh, favorite is still just the, the good old book, the physical book. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I do like, as you say, like the 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 advantage of the digital copy is you can easily move between the audio and the digital, right? Because it just picks up where you're at, uh, which I find enormously helpful. Um, I like the way you structure your day there because I think there's a, a perhaps a misconception around people that in order to be successful, we must just go really hard at it and pull off 18 hour days. And what you've described there is actually being very intentional about breaks and um, kind of moving between activities. You prioritize your health. Um, you go outside, you get fresh air first thing, access to morning light, go for a walk, you read, you go and work out, you come back. Um, you've set up time during your day to read and spend that time more. Um, is that Has that always been the case? Or do you think that for a period of time, you've had to be like axe to the grind and, and work super hard? Have you always uh, had that success on a more kind of what I would call sustainable basis? No, I, I think it's something that I've incorporated into my life. And um, there's an author named Sarah Mednick. Um, people have probably heard of many sleep experts. Uh, and she's one of the most predominant ones as well. She teaches at, if I have it correctly, University of California, Irvine. But she wrote two really impactful books. The one was The Power of Naps. And the one that I have used more is The Power of the Downstate. And what she articulates in this is that we can get almost REM-like effects when we put ourselves in the downstate throughout the day. And this could be through taking a short nap, but you find it uh, by taking short breaks throughout your day. And especially if you're taking short breaks that involve movement. So the way I like to break my days up is by going on uh, walks uh, pretty much every two I mean, every 45 minutes, I try to get up and take a break just to to give my mind a rest. But then every two hours, I set my day up so I can take a 15 to 20 minute walk, um, which to me is also a good time to practice mindfulness because I'm thinking about what I've accomplished so so far during my day, what I need to get done. And it helps me think about the next things I want to do. Sometimes, um, though, um, like I said, I will read a book. Other times I might listen to a podcast. Sometimes I might just listen to music. It's just allowing your your mind to get away from the things that you're working on. So her book, The Power of the Downstate, um, I, is something that uh, I found to be influential in my own life. Mm. I'll definitely check that out. It's that sort of element of psychological detachment, right, which helps you come back fresher and you're more likely to access a flow state. Um you talk in um, the book about a lot of luminaries. I mean, what have you found from your extremely well-read, uh, very successful yourself? What do you think are the critical components that makes an individual successful? I mean, that was, I, I guess this has been my lifelong quest. Um, I mean, ever since I can remember, I've always wondered, like, how do some people break out? Um, how do some people become the 5% that Robin Sharma for example, talks about. Um, and so it's interesting. Um, I have been studying leaders and leadership um, for decades now, and um, I was doing it to help pro you know, propel my career forward, and it definitely did by following them. But I had, up until about seven or eight years ago, had been mostly looking at what made someone a better business leader or a bolder leader, because that's 
kind of where my career had been at that point. But eight years ago, I started to really look at, you know, is there a secret to how these people are doing things differently in their own personal development? And it ended up culminating in me, and, and I'm still researching even more today, but about 750 different remarkable individuals. And I, w I looked at a, a gamut, everything from actors and actresses to astronauts, military veterans, CEOs, um, performers, I mean, you name it. And I started to see this pattern emerge where I, I didn't go into it thinking there was science behind it, but it turns out that what I found is that there are a series of mindset shifts and behavior shifts that are actually all rooted in behavior science and positive psychology that all these people were taking. And they probably didn't even realize that they were making or adopting these principles in their life. But I kept seeing these things come up again and again as I examined them. And so that's really what I documented in the book is it's really a, a guideline or a guidepost to how do you create your ideal self. It's, it's really about how do you create the path to significance and self-realization. And so that's what the whole book is about is those 12 different principles. Yeah, I love it. It's awesome. Uh, and I think so, so needed, right? Because I think that the world's changed. We used to have many people, if we, if we look back a few generations ago, people would start down a path and that was their journey, right? Their doctor was a doctor and that was the route they were going to follow. Um, and they kind of, there wasn't such a need for reinvention. I think now the world is changing so rapidly, but I also think that reinvention makes it fun. And definitely my own life where I kind of departed from being a corporate lawyer, burnt out, working crazy hours, <laughs> ended up being hospitalized to, you know, launching a podcast around high performance and health optimization. It's been super fun and it's challenging. And I think it leads to a lot. What I've found is a lot of personal growth. Um, and that's why I talk about kind of, I was asking you about overcoming oneself. Um, what are the things that you recommend for people? Um, you talk about like rising above self-doubt. I think some people who are listening to this may still feel like they doubt themselves. They, they doubt that they can really truly get there and reinvent themselves. What are some of the key ways that you would say they can do that? Well, to me, it's the quest for authentic living. And it's not just the super superficial pursuit of monetary pleasures or efficiency hacks or consumerism that we find ourselves immersed to. It's about a rebellion against the societal norms that seem to dictate our lives. It's a re refusal to settle for a life that's defined by someone else's standards instead of defining them for yourself. I talked about quiet desperation earlier. It's breaking away from that feeling of quiet desperation and reclaiming the power to author your own stories for a truly fulfilling life. And if people aren't getting this, I mean, this, the statistics are just staggering. You know, Gallup shows that there are 900 million people in 142 countries who aren't fulfilled today in what they do in life. And according to research from MIT and Oxford University, almost half the jobs that people are currently in today will be automated in the next 20 years. If you listen to Google's top futuristic speaker, Thomas Frey, he predicts that 2 billion jobs will be automated by 2030. So we have this train that's barreling down towards us and people need to start to wake up that the way that things have been is going to drastically change. I think we're on 
I think history repeats itself, and we're on this path to having a repetition of something just as big as when the printing press hit civilization. We're in the midst of this right now, and I think it's making people very uncomfortable, um, mm. which is causing a lot of the mental health issues and everything that we're we're seeing. So, how do you protect your yourself from this? You start by doubling down on your uniqueness. What is different about you? What are the capabilities that you possess that make you unique in the world? And I think more and more people are going to end up having to become maybe a solo entrepreneur, a solopreneur where instead of working for these corporations or what have you, you're going to become a freelancer where you're going to be working for many, but you're going to dictate, dictate the path that you want to take in life. Um, and I think that this could likely become the next reality. And I am really hopeful that more and more people start taking the chance for entrepreneurship because across all Western society, we've been in a four decade decline because people keep taking the easier path, especially highly educated, high skilled people to take the well-paying job instead of pursuing the riskier path of following your core identity and values and solving a problem that you were put on earth to solve. Hmm. I think for um I think for many people right what I notice is it's not it's um the the aspect you talk about there in terms of like where we might need to reinvent ourselves but also like as a a mother of teenage children I feel like the education system isn't guiding them particularly well because it's still sort of showing very traditional roles and things um, and the career path to those when in reality this this generation that's growing up now are walking into a very different world and I don't know about you like I, I mean I know this will be the case just because of how well read you are but for me reading and understanding the skill sets and the mindset so that you can meet any challenges right that are put across your way and developing that sense of anti-fragility and as you say have it being passion struck is so important and so what I've been trying to do is to to get kind of books in front of my children even um you know i think there's so many out there I, it was my son's birthday the other day and he's a big fan of uh, stephen bartlett but i also you know bought him arnold schwarzenegger's book because if we look at how many times he has reinvented himself from bodybuilder to actor to property investor to governor of california he's he's it's all around that model and i just think that we need those but it, it feels i guess for many people listening that it's not just there's a sense of maybe fear around our own positions, but also how do we guide the next generation? Do you have any kind of tips that you would offer there for them to follow? Obviously, their passion, right? But um, Yeah. So th throughout the book, like you brought up, I, I talk about a lot of luminaries. People, I have I've, I've researched Oprah. I researched Mark Benioff, who started Salesforce, astronaut Chris Cassidy. But maybe Novak Djokovic is a great one for us to examine when it comes to this, because I loved playing tennis when I was a kid. I was ranked, I was a really good tennis player, and I know what it takes to win. And when you think back on history, a decade ago, you would have thought Raf and Roger and Roger would have been the two who would have been vying for being the greatest player who ever played. And Jokovic was almost an afterthought. But what he did, which I think is a clear example of what it means to be passion struck, is, is he reached for the pinnacle of success in his, in his field 
by shaping his life to mirror the innermost values and aspirations that he wanted to achieve. It was a relentless pursuit of personal mastery where for him, success isn't just the destination. It's a byproduct of living a passion-driven life. So for him, what that really meant is he trained himself to become the most mentally tough player on the circuit because he knew that, similar to my discussion with Angela Duckworth, that he could have the physical ability. He could have the passion, the perseverance. All of them have that level playing field, but he wanted to be the most mentally tough person that he possibly could become. And I recently saw him do an interview on this on 60 Minutes, where people, you know, would say, you know, that's just something that you were inherently born with. And he corrected and said, no, it's something that I have worked and worked and worked on every single day to get stronger at it. Because when you're down by two sets and you want to win the match, oftentimes those other things are you're feeling in desperation, but it's that mental toughness that allows you to get through them. And I think whatever it is that we want to do for our own mental toughness version of Jokovic is something that we can propagate because intentionality in whatever you want to accomplish, it's like a muscle. The more you use it, the stronger it becomes. Mm. And to me, it's coupled with the courage of continuing down the path when you have setbacks, when things aren't going the way you want it to, and still moving forward. And how would you say that we distinguish between um, what's real, right, in terms of a limitation, and what are our excuses? So we were talking earlier about the fact that, you know, as we go about our our life, we accumulate more responsibilities, more things going on. And so like one of the first hurdles for many people will be like, well, I'm not sure I have time for this, right, or time to allocate for it at this point in time. And yet we can look at other individuals and say, well, they're so successful and they're running multiple businesses and they have a family and they have all these responsibilities. What do you think the distinguishing factor is there between somebody who's able to take that on and to still live a calm and productive and happy life, mostly and a joyful life and still have time for their family? Um, and, and I just, I just guess where, how do we know where that boundary is between what's excuses and what's kind of real? Well, one of the things I talk about in the third section of my book when I go through the psychology of progress is this idea that time is malleable, meaning we can alter our state of time, how we, we can alter our state of time so that it suits who we want to become. Meaning for me, getting up at five o'clock in the morning was not an easy thing for me to do. I wasn't a morning person, but I started to, to think about the life I wanted to have and I knew that self-care was extremely important because you're never going to be the best person that you can possibly be for others if you're not the best person for how you're showing up for yourself. So I changed the way I was living my life to front load it because I knew with the pressures of kids going to school and everything else that that was a period of time that I could carve to be just mine, that I could do with it the things that I need to do to make me a better person, to set up my day for success. Because everything is a choice. And you can get out of bed and be grumpy or not feel good or or whatever it might be. But you can also put in your thought that even though I feel that way, I'm going to set the day up to be as great as it possibly can be. And so on this whole thing of time being malleable, one of the most important things I think people can learn is something in the book I call being 
an an anxiety optimizer, meaning if you know how to put yourself into this zone of optimal anxiety, which is really, in essence, thinking about how you can utilize your time, if you can be one of these people who can put yourself there for peak performance, the research is is startling. McKenzie studied um, executives over a 10-year period. And those who were able to achieve this zone of optimal anxiety outperformed their peer group by 400%. They're able to accomplish what their peers are in eight hours and two. And that's just one of the tricks that you can do is to completely change how you're utilizing your time. Because when you do that, and if you're able to get more done in a shorter period of time, it frees you up to do so much other stuff during the rest of your day. And I think Tim Ferriss is a great... uh, advocate of this if you look at his books on uh, how he sets up his own days it's a four-hour work week mm. yeah i totally agree and i think that we can the, the research around flow right pro- proves that we can be five times as productive when we're in flow and i think optimizing that and all the things you've been speaking about there and setting your day up and walks and things um so important and that that sense of psychological detachment i, I love what you share um is there any last pieces that you that you want to say that perhaps we haven't touched on that you think are important? No, I think, I think people need to put themselves in this situation where imagine before you had a digital device in your pocket that you're stuck on a road and your car breaks down and you have no ability to call anyone. You're, you're out in the middle of a field on the side of the road. You've got two different options. Either you can sit there and wait and try to flag someone down who's going to help you, or you can start taking action. And if you start taking that action, let's say you start pushing that car, it's going to be extremely difficult at first because of the weight of the car and how much effort that's going to take. But after a while, once you get it moving, it starts getting easier and easier to the point that it almost feels like you're going downhill when you're pushing it, and maybe you will. I think the same thing to that analogy comes when we think about the life change that we want to make. Either you can constantly be here trying to raise your hand saying, someone help me, or you can take matters into your own hands. And of course, at first, it's going to be very difficult. There are no short circuits, shortcuts to creating this life that you want. But the more intentional actions that you start taking and these micro choices that make up your day, the easier that path is going to become, just like pushing that car towards before you know it, it hockey sticks into these possibilities that you never even dreamt were were possible. And I think going back to what I said earlier, the biggest mistake we make is we get discouraged because we try to do much too much change all at once instead of focusing on the habits as you brought up with uh, James Clear or, or BJ Fogg or, or Judd Brewer talk about um, and you start figuring out how to create these habit loops that then synergistically lead to fostering habits in other areas of your life and it all culminates over time into you growing and becoming the passion-struck person you want to be, you aspire to be. I love that. What an amazing mate to end on. Um, thank you so much for your time, John. You've shared so much. The book, Passion Struck, I mean, I feel like we've only really scratched the surface. It's a brilliant book. Um, it's coming out, I believe, is it the 6th of February? Do I have the right date? That is correct, Angela. 5th, yes. 6th of February. 6th of February. Yeah. Two. <laughs> So it should be out as this um, podcast releases. Um, so yes, go and grab a copy. It's available on Amazon and all where, anywhere you can buy books. 
Uh, do you want to link? Where, where can people find more about you, about the book, and about your work? Yeah, thank you very much for that. So um, all things social media, you can get to at John R. Miles. And if you want to learn more about the Passion Struck community, the podcast, the book, go to passionstruck.com. And if you purchase the book in the first week or before, um, I have $300 plus worth of free giveaways that I'm, I'm giving the community that I've curated, such as the deliberate action process, such as an ebook on intrinsic motivation and other things. So um, thank you so much. And if you're up for a challenge, I have started a 50-week challenge program. Um, if you sign up for our newsletter every week, we send out a new challenge. Uh, this past week's was all on the finished concept of Sisu and how to create more resilience in your own life. But each week it has a theme, typically ties to my solo episode for the week, but all of them are really boundary magnifying things that you can do in your life. Amazing. I love that. You're going to help people actually implement all of these things across the year and make 2024 their best year. Thank you so much for that. We will link to all of that in the in the show notes. And thank you so much for your time today and, and diving into the book. Uh, it's a brilliant book and I highly recommend people go and read it. Uh, thank you for all that you do. Uh, super appreciate it. Yeah, my honor for being here. Thank you so much for having me. I hope today's episode inspired you on your journey to vibrant health and high performance. Make sure you check out the show notes for a summary of all the important links to everything we talked about. And if you enjoyed this episode, hit the follow button and share it with a friend on social media or leave a review over on Apple Podcasts. Remember, achieving high performance health is about getting 1% better each day. So think about one thing you learned from today's episode and start implementing it today. Share with me what you've learned on social media over at Angela S. Foster. I love hearing from you and connecting with you. Have a beautiful day and always remember you are worthy of your dreams. Mm -hmm.